Reading this morning is from John chapter 20, verses 30 through 31. That's on page 907 in the Bible in the pew in front of you. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have, his, may have life in his name. Good morning. If you wouldn't mind, let's start in John 21 this morning. John 21. We're going to start from verse 1 there. And I want us to note a key statement that's given in verse 12. But let's start in verse 1 in in John 21 this morning. It is great to see you all. It's great to be here worshiping our Lord and great to be thinking about our risen Savior today especially. We're thankful for that. We're thankful if you're visiting with us this morning. We're thankful for, for all of you that are here. So as we begin, let's go ahead and start with John 21. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just as the day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul, to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, but about a hundred yards off. When they got out on the land, they saw a charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And here's what it says after. Now none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Now certainly it's true that this great miracle that he had performed concerning their their fishing success would have played a major part in this, but the, the key idea here is they knew from what Jesus had already done and what he had already shown them that there was nothing further to see. They knew it was the Lord. And because of this, John records that none of the disciples dared ask him of his identity. They already knew who he was. He had well proven himself beyond this point. The key question of the Gospel of John is who is Jesus? From John chapter 1, we're told that Jesus is the the revelation of God. He is knowledge. He's grace and truth that has come to free people from their sin. And throughout the book, we see people responding to this truth. We see people who are accepting Jesus and his message and people who are rejecting Jesus and his message. But this key question lies in the center of who he is. And there are seven other identifiers that Jesus gives in the Gospel of John by which he he calls himself. 
Seven ways that he describes himself. And very briefly this morning, what I want to do is just talk through those seven ways. Let's talk through these, these I am statements, as they're often called, and just investigate the, the different ways that Jesus refers to himself. In the book of John, we need to recognize that it is of the utmost importance that we know exactly who Jesus is. By the time he returns, ignorance will not be a sufficient answer. By the time he returns, ignorance in, in the way that we live will not be a sufficient answer. We will not be able to say, yes, I knew of him from the way people talked about him, but I didn't live like I knew him. That will not suffice either. Let's take some time this morning and think about how the Gospel of John talks about the person of Jesus Christ. In the first place, in John 6, 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. In the context of John 6, we see Jesus talking to this group of people and telling them that if they really want to be saved and to live a life glorifying to God, they're going to need to consume his words to really take it in, to, to mull over it. Now, the people are offended by this. They're not big fans of this idea that he is the bread come down from heaven, as it's, see, as it's seen in verse 41. They're, they grumbled about him, the Jews did. And yet Jesus answers them in verse 43, Do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. And we know that the Father draws people to his Son by his word being preached, by his word being taught. When that word is able, as, as Luke 8 shows us in the parable of the sower, that that word is able to come into our hearts and change us. That's what the power of the word is able to do. When Jesus says, I'm the bread of life, it means that we can seek no nourishment apart from him and expect to be saved of our sins. We can seek no nourishment apart from him and seek to truly have divine knowledge to truly know what it means to be saved and to have that saving faith. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. Second note, just a couple of chapters later, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now the Pharisees are not fans of this statement. We may be seeing a theme already. The Pharisees aren't fans of this, and Jesus answers, even if I do bear witness about myself, my testimony is true, for I know where I came from, and I know where I am going. Jesus is from heaven. He was there with his Father, and he came down to dwell among us in flesh. And yet when he comes, one of the first things that we're told in John chapter 1 is that Jesus is the light, and that the darkness has not, over, has not overcome, it has not, has not taken over. He is the light of the world. Jesus says later in verse 19, you know neither me nor my father, Pharisees. If you knew me, you would know my father also. How can we expect to know light if we do not know Jesus? We may have an incomplete knowledge of who Jesus is. We may say, yes, I believe Jesus Christ is the son of God, but I don't believe that he means to come and shed light on my sin. I don't believe he comes to make me repent of what I've done. Friends, it's not enough. When Jesus says that he is the light of the world, it means that that light is to, be, is to be shown upon our very lives, to expose us for who we really are and for us to be changed from the inside out. I am the light of the world, Jesus says. Third note, note that Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. 
I am the door of the sheep. Look in John chapter 10 and verse 7. Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. It's noticed earlier in verse 5 that there are those who are strangers, those who climb in by another way. This isn't to say that these individuals are necessarily successful. The point is this. There are people who, when the shepherd calls, the sheep hear him. His sheep recognize the shepherd's voice, and they respond. When Jesus says that he is the door of the sheep, it means that when he calls, his sheep know who is calling. They enter by him, and that there is no other way to truly enter salvific grace apart from him, right? He will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture if that person enters by me. Insinuated in this phrase, or let's even be more blunt here, necessary implication of this phrase is there is no other way to enter into that relationship with Christ but through him because he is the door of the sheep. If we want to be identified with Christ, we must first ask ourselves, have we entered by his way? There's no other way will really gain us any access, any true access. I am the door of the sheep, Jesus says. And along this same line, just a few verses later, he says, I am the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd, verse 11. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He, he who is a hired hand, verse 12, and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. Does Jesus care nothing for the sheep? Look in verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. Look what's said later in verse 16, that latter part. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. So often in the Old Testament, especially once the divided kingdom occurs, we find that the people of God are separated. We find that there are people who try to divide themselves into different factions and different sects when really the people of God are a unified people. They're supposed to be a unified people. There are several in the world today who are worshiping with individuals who no doubt have zeal. But what Paul would say is that it's zeal without knowledge. Jesus' will is that we would all come together under him, that we would be one as he and the Father are one, John 17. Because he is the good shepherd and that Jesus' will is that we would be one flock under one shepherd. I am the good shepherd, Jesus says. Next, look in John 11, verse 25. I am the resurrection and the life, Jesus says. Now, this is all happening as one of Jesus' friends, Lazarus, has passed away. And what we find as Jesus is speaking to Martha, Martha is beginning to have questions. She's, she's struggling with this reality. In verse 21, she says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. 
But even now, I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give you. Even though there is a clear struggle, she's emotionally wary about this whole situation. She knows that only through God, only through Jesus is there any connection to the Father. Can anything truly be done? Jesus said to her, verse 23, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. Verse 26, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. John 3.16, which is so often called the golden text of the Bible, it ends by saying that people who believe shall not perish but have everlasting life. So as to say that Jesus himself is the way by which people are able to enter into eternity with the Father. And Martha recognizes this because what she immediately says, continuing on in verse 27, is, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. This idea that Jesus is the resurrection and the life was linked inseparably to the fact of Jesus' identity. His being the Christ, his being the Son of God, that is inseparably tied to his being the resurrection and the life. And yes, we find that Jesus raises Lazarus, yes, but all believers will be raised. We will be able to enter into that newness of life with him in, in its fullness by being in eternity with Christ. And we ought to take comfort in that reality. 1 Corinthians 15 even makes it even more clear that if Jesus himself is not raised and our faith is in vain, and that further we know that we will be raised in like manner as he was raised. Moving on, John 14 and verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. This is potentially the most, fate, the, the most popular of all of these phrases that he gives. And his point is this, there's no way to the Father apart through Jesus. Thomas says in verse 5 of John 14, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? See, they've heard that Jesus is going somewhere and that wherever he's going, they cannot presently come. And of course, the questions are coming, right? How in the world can we know where you are going? Will, will we ever be able to join you there? But when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he elaborates by saying, no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Doesn't John 10, 31 say that he and the father are one? How can any man seek to know God without knowing Christ, the son of God, God in flesh? I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says. As he continues speaking with his disciples in this conversation, the last main statement that we get is in John 15 and verse 1. I am the true vine. It says further in verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, 
He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Can you do all things apart from me? Can you do some things apart from me? No, what does he say? Apart from me, you can do nothing. Friends, Jesus Christ is the true vine. And when we come to him, when we join this family, when we, when, we, when we become a part of the church of his intent, we become branches of him. We're meant to live in a way that honors and glorifies him. There are several churches of the Lord's body across the world. People who worship in like manner as we do. People who study and revere the scriptures as we do. They're everywhere and we are all able to be his branches. God loved us so greatly that he came and died for us in Jesus so that we could be identified with him. How is it that we abide in him? Well, Jesus says that we abide in him and that's evidenced by if his words abide in us. You see, there's no way for a person to truly abide in Christ without that same person abiding in his word. There's no way for a person to, to truly honor Christ and not honor him as the authority over their life. John 3.16 does say that we must believe, but John 3.36 indicates we must obey. And it's through that that we have the inheritance. I want to end this morning by going to John chapter 1 one more time. John chapter 1. In verse 12, John 1 in verse 12, it says, To all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. See, this idea was confusing to someone named Nicodemus. When he approaches Jesus by night in John chapter 3, he's wondering how in the world is this possible? Does a person enter another time into his mother's womb? How, does, how is that to occur? When we believe in Christ, when we lower our pride and say, Lord, I need you, I can't do this by myself, we are able to come into his saving grace we're able to be rescued from our perilous position by Christ. Friends, the Gospel of John, very plainly, very simply, wants us to know who Jesus is. And this morning, I want you to ask yourself, who is Jesus to you at this moment? Is Jesus truly your Lord? Was he your Lord at a time and you started to sever yourself from him, started to let the cares of the world burden you beyond repair? Have you not known Christ before this time and want to learn more about him? Every single one of us in this room, we're on a spiritual journey of sorts. But I especially urge those of you who maybe your journey is just now beginning by hearing of him for the first time. I urge you at this time to come to be baptized for remission of your sins and to join this family of God who will love you, who will care for you and to be able to truly be the branches as Jesus is the vine, the true vine, might I add. 
If perhaps you have been baptized and have fallen off the path, let us pray for you. Let us take some time and speak with you, study with you, whatever you may need. In whatever way you need us today, in whatever way you need Christ today, allow us to point you closer to him. All we can do is point you in the direction of the person who can actually help you. And that's exactly what we want to do. The church of the Lord's intent wants to point you closer to Christ. And in whatever way we can do that this morning, we urge you to come forward now as we stand and sing.